Ciao, ciao, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Jalo Ciao Ciao. I'm Creep, and with me is the Phantom Eric. Hello. Hello. 
and we have an extra special superific guest today. Today we have the guy who runs Hysteria Lives. He's on the Hysteria Continues podcast, and he is the author of Teenage Wasteland, aka the Slasher Movie Book. Justin Kurzweil, yay! Hey, well, I'm very, very pleased to be here. Long time listener of the show, even though you've only done 10 episodes, but uh, you haven't missed a single one yet. So very pleased to be here. Well, we are super pleased to have you. And Chris, it's his birthday today. So happy birthday, Chris. And he thinks eyeballs a stinker, so he could go suck it. (laughs) Not very nice to say on his birthday. <laughs> on his birthday, how could you? Um, yeah. But uh, as I said, I'll, I'll make up for that. I think um, I think we will be siding with the eyeball, perhaps. Yes. Yay! It's always good to side with an eyeball. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So Keith, you sound pretty well rested after your vacation. Have I not been on the show since the vacation? I don't think so. Oh, dude, it was horrible. I mean, it was a good vacation, but like. I had a sinus infection, and then we went up 7,000 feet into the mountains, Uh-oh. and my head felt like it was in a vice for four days. Yeah. So um, that kind of sucked, and it snowed, and we almost got stuck on the mountain. So, but it was fun. It was good, good to get away. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> so, do you wish you were off to the Ramblers instead? Uh, yeah, especially if uh, Martinez is my tour guide. Yes, yes. <laughs> he could laugh and wink at me. And throw spiders at you. And scream loudly and yeah, that'd be awesome. I kinda of wonder what would have happened if they had TripAdvisor back then. Right? The reviews, but I'm sure we'll get onto that in a minute. <laughs> uh it's funny because um I was thinking like um what guy I would be on that bus if I was on that little tram thing mm. and I think I would be um, the guy that looks like Ted B. Michaels uh, what's Ooh. his name um, Mr. Mustache yeah. yeah the guy with the weird like ascot and like like yeah. uh, sweat shirt outfit I was trying to figure out though. which stereotype he was trying to play in this I game. don't know man he was like <laughs> a, a pirate yeah, but um, <laughs> was he the one with the the bottle blonde wife? Yeah, yeah. who only wanted to do the front of her hair because she never sees the back of herself. <laughs> yes, that's very very Debbie Harry, wasn't it? Oh, she was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that just looked like a ton of fun. Okay, but seriously, um, real quick, um, we haven't had an update on the book yet in a while. So Colin, um, get cracking on their Facebook page. He says that um, there will be an update soon, and thank you for being patient. So um, this is us being patient. So, <laughs> so is no no news, good news in this case. I think so. Okay. So just give us something, dude. Yes, I, I gave some money towards that as well. I was very disappointed I didn't win the um, the demon's mask. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been cool. I never would have taken it off. Absolutely, yes. But uh, yeah, no, looking forward to hearing a bit more about that. So let's see here. Oh, um, so we have the the listener top 10. 
mm. as well. Um, since um, when the three of us did the top ten, there it was there was some controversy there. <laughs> so um, I got as many people as I could to send in their stuff, and this is their list. And I'm I'm very sad about the bottom two, but it's okay. So number ten, tarantula. Number nine, strip nude for your killer. Number eight, lizard and woman's skin. Number seven, bay of blood. Number six, four flies on gray velvet. Number five, case of the bloody iris. Number four, fifth cord. Number three, bird with the crystal plumage. Number two, what have you done to Solange? And number one, torso. 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 Is that the so number one? It's also is the one that's most popular, is it? With all the, the listeners. Yes, and it was like by a ridiculous margin. Uh huh. Like everyone who sent something in had that in their top two. Wow. Except for one person, actually. One person did not. But um, let's say that it sounded pretty similar to our, what we came up with. Well, it the, sounded similar to your list. Damn it. Bloody Iris was kind of high, though. Yeah, Bloody Iris was kind of high. And Bay of Blood was higher than I thought it would be. But, you know, to each his own. Nobody likes tarantula or strip nude, except for me. That's fine. I'm, I'm I do. I do. I'm, I'm, I side with you on strip nude. I, I kept on meaning to get my um, top ten in and being very lazy. I didn't, but um, strip nude would have been in my top five, definitely. All right, list off your top ten. Go. Right. Okay. <laughs> I didn't do. No, I didn't put. I, would, I knew I should pre- uh, prepare this, but I would say probably at the bottom would be the fifth chord, because I haven't watched it again. But it's not. I remember it being quite dull, and I kind of like my jelly a bit more yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, I would say next up probably Four Flies and Grave of It, which um, I'm kind of. I was very pleased actually with, with this podcast that Argento isn't held on this massive pedestal because I think he's when he's very good, he's very very good. But when he's bad, he's he's fucking terrible. And um, Four Flies isn't a bad movie, but it's not certainly not one of his best. Um, just because it's an Argento, I wouldn't put it up there. Um, I kind of agree. Um, probably what next? Um, Listen, the woman's skin. I kind of I like, but um, again, I'm not a massive fan of. Uh, where else? Well, we got um, um, Bay of Blood. Again, I'm with you. That I kind of I think the the proto slasher, the gore and stuff is is great, but it's a little bit of a chore. I'm not a massive fan of that, so that's kind of a thing fills out my kind of bottom four. Yeah. Uh, then oh, I would say, what have you done to Solange? I, I I do like that film. I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Fabio Testi and a lot of his movies, but um, again, it's it, I think the London locale which you mentioned just kind of keeps it possibly kind of middling. Um, then I would probably say um, Black Belly Tarantula, if I've not already said that. Is again, it's a film I like, but again, I find it's a little bit middling. It's not one of my, um, not my favourites. Then I would probably say uh, Strip Nude for Your Killer would be probably, you know, towards if not my number three and number four, because um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. In fact, actually, I remember not not blowing my own trumpet as it were, but I got um, quoted on the on the, the DVD release. Of that film when it came out, and I still remember calling it ultra trashy fun, which it is. Uh, <laughs> now, if I could put Eyeball at number one, I would, but obviously I can't at the moment. So I would say probably next up Torso, which I think is is great. 
film and it obviously shares one of the stars of uh, Torso and an eyeball. Um, now, I'm trying to remember, Bird of the Crystal Plumage, I would say, probably is my number two, which I kind of agree has got massive plot holes, but it's, it's so stylish, it's fantastic. But probably my most watched Jali, apart from another one, which we may be talking about in a little, little while, which we definitely will be talking about in a little while, is Case of the Bloody Iris, which I just think is so much fun. Uh, and I could watch that time and time again. It's one of my go-to Jali that I show people, um, as well as Eyeball. Now, then they're, they're not the best Jali, but they probably are for me the most entertaining one, entertaining ones. Um, and I just think Case of Bloody Iris has got a fantastic score. It looks brilliant, and it's just like a comic book flying off, just you know, from the pages onto the screen. It's just, it's just glorious, and it's got Edwige Fenique, and it's got, it's got you know, all, everything you could possibly want. Majali, apart from um, people being killed by somebody and looking like a big red kind of crimson cat. So, there you go. <laughs> That's a very good list. Yeah. Uh, good I'm... job on being put on the spot like that. that yeah, that, that was good. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. I was kind of, I was almost prepared, but I thought, do I get my J and B or do I make my list? And unfortunately, your J and B. Well, of course. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. So, so that's that. Let me see here. Um, oh, we had a question on the last episode as well. That where does the chow chow come from at the beginning of the show? That I kept playing under Eric talking, mm. and um, nobody got it. So we'll leave that one kind of floating out in limbo. But um, I do have a question that actually Jimmy sent in. Um, for the oh you know what because this wasn't on the show this happened after the show um axe wielding eric got the um or axe wielding alex sorry <laughs> don't, oh, don't mix yeah, me with him i'm getting all confused over here um got the question of what the songs were in the um opening uh thing that eric put together for us so the songs are from Suspiria, Tenebrae, um, Blood and Black Lace, Strip Nude for Your Killer, uh, New York Ripper, and Lizard and Woman's Skin. And almost everyone got Strip Nude for Your Killer wrong. And it's because nobody likes that movie, except Aww. the people on the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so he got that. So he's getting the Electro Euro Trash uh, DVD thing. And we have one more to give out. And Jimmy sent a question in. And this is the question. Goblins Claudio Simonetti was also known as the godfather of Italio Disco in the late 70s and 80s. Can you name at least two of either titles or songs or aliases Simonetti went under during that time. <clears throat> if you can, um, you will win an Electro Euro Trash DVD. Mm. I've actually got the um, Jimmy sent me one of those a long, long time ago, so yeah. I can definitely recommend they're, they're worth getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you do know that, go ahead and um, send it into the group or message us or um, email me at creeperson at gmail. And I realized that if you don't know me, creeperson is spelt with an I, not an O. 
So it's C-R-E-E-P-E-R-S-I-N at gmail.com. Like you're a sinning creeper. Yeah, that came up. Yeah. Um, no one knows who the fuck I am, so they didn't know what my <laughs> email address was. So that's fine. Um, no worries there. But um, And if you want to find out more of what Jimmy's doing, if you go to Facebook.com slash The Red Man Film, you can see what he's working on right now. And that's that. Whew. So those, right. those are all the the updates kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that was a that was a barn burner. Yeah. Lots of business to clear out. Yeah, man. I have my um, hazelnut coffee here, but then I have my double espresso sitting there with a coaster on top of it, so don't get cold. I'm ready to do this. <laughs> that's a lot of caffeine. That's a lot of caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have the caffeine. But um, hopefully in a few minutes here I'll be stupid enough to start drinking. So um, <laughs> we'll start having a good time here. Um, so yeah, so I guess um, right now we can play the trailer for this week's movie. Um, Umberto Lenzi's what I will call a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Eyeball. How far can you go before your nerves break, before your heart stops, before your eyes leave your body? Eyeball, the most blinding horror ever seen. Eyeball. What the? Now, one of them is out to kill all of them. When you least expect it, when you have no way to fight back, a stabbing nightmare becomes a living terror. Eyeball. The screams you hear may be your own. Eyeball. No fear has ever come this close. No suspense has ever gone this far. For every murder, for every victim, there is no warning. Don't blink. Don't turn around. Don't even move. Now you'll witness the darkest vision of horror. Eyeball. It'll open your eyes and freeze your blood. You can't escape it because everywhere you hide, everywhere you turn, this is the curse from which there is no way out. How far can you go before your nerves break, before your heart stops, before your eyes leave your body? Eyeball, you may never live to see the end of it. That was an amazing trailer. I really like how the announcer announces stuff. <laughs> 
He should get a job. Uh, well, I don't I, know. I should just get a fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> In general. Yeah, I, I, I like the way he announces things too, Creep. And I, I wish he would announce more commercials nowadays. Because I think that's the problem why people aren't... Uh, why the economy is so bad. I think I would buy more laundry detergent if that guy yeah. was trying to sell it to me. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I'm trying to think what else he could sell. I'm playing on the assumption that I've actually heard the trailer, by the way. Oh, dude, you totally lift the veil way too often, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we get too far into this, though... Um, the birthday boy sent us a little blurb about what he thinks of the film that we're going to be setting our eyes on right now. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for us. If I could figure out a way to make this go. Hey everybody, it's Chris from Jalo Score. Since Creep and Eric decided to record the podcast without me, I figured I'd pop in with a little (laughs) message in case any of my fans miss me. Aside from the tragedies in the WWE, I have been puttering along quite nicely here in Philadelphia. The Jalo score has not been updated in a while, as I got on a Stephen King kick and decided to read The Shining and Doctor Sleep back to back. But the Jalo itch will surface soon enough, and the next film on tap for the site was a request by Jason at Film Nothing More on Twitter, and a film I've never seen before called La Casa del Tapeto Giallo, which translates to The House of the Yellow Carpet. Other than Tenebrae, this will be the first 1980s Giallo to be scored on the site, so stay tuned for that. And now for the matter at hand. sounds like you know when you go to download something that might not be the most legal thing in the world and then a window (laughs) pops up and then someone's like you just want something yeah 
He also <laughs> kind of sounds like the movie phone guy. He does, dude. It's kind of scary. And and you like how he had to throw in that strip nude thing? Yeah. 1975 was a great year, sir. <laughs> I'm just glad he name dropped that instead of Deep Red. Oh yeah, like right. He very easily could have. He totally could have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's some good stuff. Now, um, Justin, you guys did this movie on your show, mm. and I was going, oh, wow, I can't believe he wants to talk about this movie again. And then I looked, and that was in 2011. Mm. That was did- some time ago. That's right. It was a double bill with Deep Red, funnily enough. And um, it. Uh, so we didn't actually spend that much time talking about it, I don't think. I think we did like a, a sort of, you know, like basically you got your trashy and you got your classy, so your Deep Red and an eyeball. Um, so I can't even remember talking about it, but eyeball's been a long-time favourite of mine for, for many years. So I always welcome the chance of talking about it and introducing people to the magic of eyeball. Which I would say, hand on heart, this is I've, I'm a big fan of the Jalo, but I have seen Eyeball more than any other Jalo, more times than any other Jalo. Probably I've probably seen this film five times more than any other single Jalo, um, and that may say more about my mental health than anything. But <laughs> it's kind of it's I do love it. It's such a it's such a trashy good time and. Um, I was out last night, we went to a friend's birthday and we've got a local kind of um, indie cinema here and they were showing the Apple, which is the um, the Canon Globus um, uh, disco, disco crapshoot from 1980, which is completely mental. And I just thought, I was sitting there thinking, just imagine if we could watch Eyeball on the big screen, how fantastic that would be, how big those sunglasses would be. Oh my God. Uh, it would be. So I'm thinking sort of about um, hiring the cinema to show eyeball and maybe something else. So I'm thinking an eyeball case of the bloody Irish double bill would probably just be um, the best thing in the world ever. Do you agree? I, yeah. yeah. That would just be amazing. People I, get I, his Ted, Ted Michael's mustache going. Oh my god, dude. It would be on like Donkey Kong, man. But what I'm really curious about is um, I have the um, German release of this. Mm. And the film quality is really bad. Like, especially in the beginning when they're going on that bus tour and you're looking out the windows and everything's all washed out. But it has, like, that orange look that you get from that um, crap second-rate film that a lot of people used in the 70s that uh, with whatever process they used to develop it, it just, like, would get orange and shitty over time. And I'm wondering if there's a really good copy of that, or was that just photographed really bad? I, d- I don't know. I know that um, later in the film, uh, there's some fr- fantastic setups, isn't there, with um, you know the murder of uh, one of the the lesbians in the bathroom and mm-hmm. all those things. It's really well shot, and the the scenes in the in the hospital later. So I, I know that Lindsay was was quite famously said that he was upset by the poor budgets and poor scripts he he was given. Although he co-wrote this, so he can't really blame himself, or maybe he can. But um, 
but I, I don't know. I don't know. It was it was interesting. I was talking about this with somebody um, early today when we watched it again for the 450th time, and saying about how in the 1970s, mid 1970s, in Britain, going to um, Spain on holiday was the height of sophistication. Essentially, it was basically the the tourism opened up. Um, to people and going to Spain was the big thing so setting in Spain would have although it doesn't seem particularly sophisticated as a film it would have been it, that the whole jet set thing that you see in the shallow um, to a wider audience and to an American audience because I think a lot of Americans used to go to Spain in the 70s and Tenerife and places but just going back to what you're saying about uh, you know I would love someone like Blue Underground or another company yeah. to get and bring out a, a better version but um just in the wider context, it's I don't know about you guys, but to, to my mind, um, four, five, six, seven years ago, there was a flurry of um, Jali coming out on American DVD and in British uh, DVD and Blu-ray, and that's kind of died off, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's not really much coming out anymore. You were getting things like um, uh, the Queen in um, the Queen in Red, Kill Seven Times, or um, you know, coming out with little figurines and on, um, is it No Shame? I think it was, and things like that. And then the night Evelyn came out of the grave and you saw these things coming out and presume, all I can presume is they just didn't make enough money uh-huh. to continue um, putting them out in better versions. And so a film like Eyeball, which is relatively obscure, um, I don't know. The other thing, of course, with these films is the rights to a lot of these films and I, I know people who buy, buy films for DVD uh, and Blu-ray release in the UK and they say quite often especially with Italian movies the right is it, it's insanely convoluted and in fact often it can be owned by the mafia or all sorts of things nobody knows who owns them which is why a lot of them are in kind of limbo so I've got the same release that you've got um, from Crete which is the probably the marketing film version the German Secret Killer version, yeah, and that's probably the the best it's ever going to look at the moment. Um, but it, you know, I really want to see the Ramblers in high definition. Yeah, about like halfway through, I think the scene where they're at the like uh, the Coney Island type place—I can't remember what they call it—but where the rides and all that stuff are. Um, like halfway through that, um, it starts to look a little bit better. Um, but it, it's just like that that first shot of them going through town it just looks really washed yeah i'm i'm gonna admit that when i first put this on uh, i started i got a little bit of trepidation because that that washed out look almost made me kind of sleepy watching it a little later at night and uh but it so i immediately went online to see if there was any better versions and uh like justin was saying i don't think that there's a lot out there you were right like, now, besides what did this you German get me release, into? Yeah. Right? But, the, yeah, like you said, it, eventually you don't even really notice it, but it starts to get a little bit better uh, about halfway through, and then before long, um, the, story is, the story really does grip you, and we'll talk about that later. But, um, yeah, I was starting to ignore some of the, the ways that it looked and starting to really enjoy uh, what the film was putting me through. And, and Martinez just couldn't keep your eyes off the TV at that point, right? Right. When he starts like talking and getting all crazy and laughy. What's he okay. gonna do next? What what is he gonna do next? So um IMDB um gives this a five point eight, which is just disgusting. Um and they have this really great super long 
synopsis of the movie. It's a killer in a red cape and hood is killing off tourists on a tour bus by gouging out their eyeballs. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's basically all this movie is, right? Yes, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> I it's will say that if I could get into an uh, airport with wood paneling, I'll do it in a heartbeat. That airport was, uh, that was amazing in the beginning. But the thing about this movie that I like probably more than anything is that the entire movie, up until the very, very end, they do everything they can to make sure every single person is a suspect. Like, they never stop. Like, even at the very end when the priest is like, you look like my daughter who's not alive anymore and I admit they got me they got me there <laughs> <laughs> it's so good how just they keep doing it and yeah. like usually they'll do it for a little bit or they'll find one person to kind of latch onto is like the red herring kind of thing but this one was just like action packed yeah. it was like a giant herring smorgasbord yeah, I think they took like 10 minutes about halfway through just uh, different people in their hotel rooms and reasons why they could be the killer. Every single time that they had so, any time when the people were like separated, uh-huh. it was like every single person looks so fucking suspicious. It's like watching Clue. <laughs> I wish. Oh, that's, a, that's a good double bill right there, man. <laughs> um, but yeah... I like the, especially the, um, the the guy, the one with the moustache you're talking about, who's got the bottle blonde wife, and he he decides to shave with a cutthroat razor, doesn't he? And then then puts all the foam, takes it all off, and then opens the door with the cutthroat razor to in his hands. Yeah. And the the guy, the Texan, looks down at it and looks at him, and it's just it's it's just like you say, everyone in it is a suspect at some point, and it's all like, you know, um, uh, what, which which character was it? The the um, name now the uh, the main character the Martine well Paulette when she's oh, got yeah. muddy shoes and um, the, the you know they suddenly say well the killer might be wearing muddy shoes and they're going Paulette has got muddy shoes I saw her cleaning her muddy shoes and then the police were going well actually if they're walking in mud they would be muddy it's this kind of fantastic dialogue great <laughs> <laughs> as well well yeah the, all... the golden cop like he's just ridiculous anyway but oh the spray tan one yeah t- yeah well, that's the thing, too, about um, Paulette, because, like, <clears throat> it's spoiler territory now, because I can't go any farther without doing this. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it real quick. It'll take you two minutes, and you can come back. But because of all the red herrings in this, like, there were, like, probably three or four different times when Paulette could have got fingered. <laughs> and, um, like, but you're so used to people looking suspicious who aren't you just kind of let it go like that whole yeah. thing with the ponchos and um the perfume and all that stuff there, there was always a reason why oh it's just a freak coincidence but she was the most guilty motherfucker in the world and then whenever they would do something like um like oh you think you know who it is who is it and then it would cut to her or we're closer to catching this person than you think. Let's cut to Paulette. <laughs> yeah. But it's done so well with all the other red herrings that you just 
you don't trust it. Yeah, I almost was wondering if they're depending on the audience goers trying to outthink themselves by going after someone else um, and playing a little game with them. Well, that whole Alma thing was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought it could have been pushed more towards the end of the film because I think once I found out that that misdirect happened, uh, the rest of it sort of dragged a little bit for me. But, um, but yeah, I love that that sort of misdirection in the middle of the film changed the plot around totally. Well, it was so unsubtle, wasn't it? Because you got Alma, who again, just going back to how fantastic it was to be flying, how fantastic it would be to be drinking Jane B with a cigarette on an airplane. Oh and my that's god! So, but. <laughs> Um, which is obviously just a fun, you know, I can imagine how, how much better it would have been to fly in the 70s. But um, but uh, you had Alma, didn't you, in that great shot showing them back in Burlington in Vermont with her lying unconscious by the, the swimming pool with a knife, a bloody knife in one hand and an eyeball in the other. <laughs> and you can't really get more unsubtle a clue than that, really, right. can you? Or misdirection. It doesn't become, it's not, there's no subtlety in eyeball whatsoever, which I think is part of its charm. Well, the other thing that I th- I felt was kind of subtle in a weird way, but not quite. Um, Mark is the biggest dick in the fucking world in this movie. And he keeps showing up. And whenever anyone tries to help him, he's like, will you just get off my back? Yeah. But he's in the fucking ugliest fucking red blazer ever. And I don't even think it was cool then. I really don't. But I feel like it's like he had that on the whole time because it's like, oh, the killer's in red. Let's put him in red and make him act like a fucking dick and just make people kind of subconsciously keep thinking it's him. But Uh like, oh, man, I could have. That's the one thing about this movie is like I could have burned that fucking coat in like two seconds and I would have been a happy camper. (laughs) I suppose if you had J&B and cigarettes on your on your vacation plane ride, you'd be a happier camper too. I'd be a little bit happier, but cleared out your sinuses. But I like my coats, yeah. and that was an ugly fucking coat. Yeah, <laughs> the, the priest wasn't very subtle either. He seemed to always be popping up in How every did scene. The priest have a daughter as well. That's what I didn't. That's understand. what I was, didn't understand either. And that's the whole thing because, like, you think he's a priest the whole time, but then he drops that bomb. I guess he was a reverend. They kept saying, but okay. Yes. And but yeah, he had the the priest collar and everything. So. Yeah, but I think that's the whole thing, though. Yeah. Because it's like when he says, "Yeah, my daughter looked just like you," or whatever. Uh huh. You're to think at that point, like, "Oh my God, he has a daughter." I bet he's not even a priest. I bet he Man. killed all those girls in that creepy photo he keeps carrying around with him. Yeah. Like a pervy dude, and um, but yeah, but that's like the like the. I, I, the beauty of this thing that like it's like the most whodunity whodunit you know like I, I don't know I, and then the guy I can't remember his name but the guy who plays the priest he's in like every favorite movie of mine he's awesome it's George Regard wasn't that how you say <sighs> it yes yeah he just pops it he is like he's like you say I looked at his IMDb credits and his name is so familiar isn't it oh his face is so familiar well i mean he was um we're in super spoiler town now but he was the killer in bloody iris he was uh the shrink and lizard he was he was a shrink in another one too what was it um 
Oh crap, I don't have it in front of me, but... All the colors of the dark? He's plays a doctor in that yeah, one. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And, um... But he was in a ton of spaghetti westerns and shit, too. But it's just, like, he's awesome. The thing I don't like about him in this is whoever they got to dub his voice or whatever was almost as bad as the freaking kid in House by the Cemetery. It was, like, just, like, nails on a chalkboard a little bit. Uh-huh. But, um, but, yeah. So, there's there's that awesome. And then the other thing. Okay, Burlington. Um, do you have Burlington Coat Factory in Minnesota, Eric? Oh, man. I haven't, I haven't seen one of those in years. Okay, well, we have them out here, I guess. And they have these commercials. And it's like, Burlington Coat Factory, we make more than great coats. Yes. And every fucking time they said Burlington in this movie, I kept singing that song. So it's probably a regional thing that that's going to drive someone absolutely batshit yeah. crazy. But, Do they um, sell red coats? I guess so. Ugly ass red coats with like a green checker thing on it. But I, I don't know if this was a popular thing because I can't imagine it being, but it seems like, so this whole tour group are from the same city. Did they get like some like kind of group on kind of thing and they all <laughs> went on vacation together? Right. Is that, that's I the idea here, right? Could be, they could all be um, potential uh, sort of killers, couldn't they? Because they all came from the same place. And, yeah. Um, but yes, it's, it's very strange, isn't it? Maybe they did back then. I've you know. never heard of anything like that before. And also Burlington was it in Vermont, wasn't it? Because I've been to Burlington, and it's pretty much out in the sticks, isn't it? It's quite a long, long way away from you know New York and other places. So, so they would have had to travel quite a long way to then get to Spain altogether. Oh yeah, great. And also most of the cast, I think, because George Regard is Argentinian, and there's another one of the one of the women who played the um, the lesbian is, is she's Argentinian, and the the Texan guy is Hungarian. And I looked this up, and so they, it was a very it was a very um, uh, you know kind of a cast from all around the world, all supposedly from um, from um, you know Burlington and Vermont. And John Richardson obviously was English as well. Well, that was, that was the other thing that's weird too is that they have a Texan guy from Vermont. Yes, yeah, which is which is which is odd, isn't it? I mean, the whole thing is is bizarre. I mean, I think it's because I kept on expecting you talking about the um, the red herrings is like Paul Nashy to sort of pop up <laughs> moment and then look shifty and then disappear again. <laughs> it was a missed opportunity, really, wasn't it? Because there were some quite uh, good or quite entertaining Nashy Jally kind of wannabes right, in the in the mid seventies. Yeah. Um, that would have been great to get a cameo from Paul Nashi because I think quite a few of the women in the cast um, were in a lot of Nashi movies. Um, so that was a missed opportunity, but uh, the only thing wrong with Eyeball, obviously. What did you guys um, think of the opening credit sequence? Oh, with the like the foreshadowing of the people it, running around. It's in... like the snapshots and then like going through the Chamber yeah. of Horrors thing. Right. Mm. Um, I think all it got, all it really did for me was set me up that there's going to be a lot of red in this film. Mm. Um, I did like, obviously that's where the, you get the uh, Nikolai score coming in right away and, and getting you set up, which I do agree so is, is a great yeah. score. It sounds yeah, like the Love Boat. It has like this kind of like I felt like I was watching like when it goes. It's that yeah. But with you, what 
with um, every episode you've done so far, you've obviously got score running underneath it, and I could listen to the score for Eyeball for all eternity, but I'm wondering how many people are self-harming at this very moment after listening to that uh, refrain for the 400th time already. We're probably only a quarter of the way into the podcast so far. <laughs> it just comes in at the most inappropriate moments, doesn't it? You know what's yeah. funny? This is a lot like Case of the Bloody Iris in that regard, where you have, because the soundtrack for this has like the same song played a couple different ways and arrangements yeah you know yeah. and with case of the bloody iris it was like the same song was playing like whether it was like walking down the street you're being chased by a killer or you're having coffee <laughs> and um but it was a little bit different each time but this one it, it's kind of the same way that that song just kept coming in yeah but i like it it's a it's a it's a cool little track it's like, it's like they knew that they had a good song and then they just overused it so bruno you did, your, you did your job this week, buddy. <laughs> I always felt a bit sorry for Bruno Nicolai, and so much not sorry, but he was obviously worked with Ennio Morricone, didn't he? But he was, uh, you know, he's very much under, you know, not many people know of him outside the casting. Like... I'm sorry that the jet setters keep flying over my house. I wonder if they've got cigarettes in J&B. <laughs> oh, and that a flight attendant with that fucking ridiculous outfit on that was amazing with the green and black and yellow stripes and oh hell well, dude I mean talking of fashion which obviously I know is a, is a favorite subject on the, on the podcast um, but Paulette's glasses sunglasses must have been a, another subtle um, hint that not, not all was right you know with her they're, the eyeballs. they're amazing and even the ones she had on when she came out of the funeral like they were like kind of aviators with like the mirror lens kind of deal like she had a few different pairs but I don't know if it was the way her hair went with them but she just those giant Elton John glasses were so fucking cool on her head uh huh because she, she couldn't dress herself to fucking save her life, but those glasses, man. I think Carol Baker has some good glasses in some jelly, but uh, I think that those, uh, the Martin Brochard's uh, sunglasses, I think, take the biscuit. I even managed to track down a pair quite similar to that on eBay and bought some. It's <laughs> the lounging around watching jelly sometimes. <laughs> fancy dress. It's in the fancy dress. Curl your hair a little bit. Oh, that's awesome, man. And then, then go out killing people. But, Trying um, on people's eyeballs. <laughs> um, I'll try my but I don't know. Well, that gives me an idea. Not to actually kill people, but um, um, yes. That was to stay between friends, shouldn't it? <laughs> and anyone listening. But... Yes, anyone listening. I have killed anyone, and I wouldn't. But, uh, but also, I think wearing those sunglasses, you probably would give yourself away, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, I think it's also what I like about this film, because of the... Um, the uh, you know the the whole reason they had the red raincoats was literally that one time they go to the Spanish Coney Islands as they say, and um, the rest of the film it's completely sunny like it would be in Spain, and then they just got a load of people throwing buckets of water at this bus, haven't they? Just so they've got an excuse to have these red raincoats. Um, when they pull up, there's like people like on the steps of a building behind them, and they're just like in shorts and shirts. Because there's no rain hitting them or anything. <laughs> it's just it's just bizarre, isn't it? And then the killer is kind of 
has got some kind of red bubble wrap or shrink wrap, which they wrap wrap their head in, don't they? When they when you get the kills or the attempt to kills in the um, in hospital. That uh, is another thing too, because when they find the slit the poncho out in the grass after the attack of Lisa or whatever. Um, Paulette's standing there and um, Ted V. Michaels, which is not his name, but I can't remember his name, he lifts it up in front of her face mm. and like holds it there and it's like another hint like, yeah, this is the person behind the thing, but like the whole the the ponchos I thought that was so brilliant like everyone has them like yeah. it's such a good good way to do it yeah, just another way to add to that. Uh, everyone's a suspect. Everyone, even the red herring, kind of symbolical in a way. Ooh. Oh, you know what? That reminds me because th- what I wanted to talk about the opening was I f- I thought the opening was kind of misleading because the first time I saw this movie and I saw like all the still shots of them running uh-huh. around with their ponchos on, I'm like, ooh, we're gonna find out. I gotta watch that scene because I'm gonna find out who the killer is if I watch that scene. And, oh, when they go on that ride, I'm going to find out who the killer is if I pay attention. Because usually when they when they do something like that, where in the opening credits, you're seeing something that's going to happen, it's kind of important. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, because the, the pictures were from before they even got the ponchos. So Homegirl was just walking around with red gloves in her purse anyway. Right. You know, when she killed the first chick. Um, so is that sort of... Uh, to put you in the protagonist situation where you they want to make you feel like you just saw something but you don't know quite what it was you saw something in those opening credits but you can't put your finger on it until the very end yeah I felt like Argento trying to figure out like what the plot of my movie is <laughs> I know yeah. there's a plot here I just can't quite figure <laughs> it out no but they do that in this too like his whole thing like yeah. like there's something, something was weird, weird about Alma laying in the grass that day um, but I just can't quite figure it out um, that whole thing. The one thing about that scene is that that car he drove up in, I had that car. That was my first car I had, but it was white, the Pontiac. And that's the best part. He's like, oh, yeah, we remember that day? Out. I had a Pontiac then. There <laughs> <laughs> were some stand-up cars back then. Whatever Crucial happened. to the story. Yeah. I had a Pontiac. There were a couple lines like that. Oh, my God. And I feel like it's one of those things where in the dubbing, they don't want to have too much downtime. So they got to oh, come up with something, and they're watching the film while they're doing their lines. Oh, yeah. I had a Pontiac then. <laughs> you remember? Um, but, yeah. So that's just good stuff, dude. But it's kind of... It's straight by 1975. The Jalo wasn't all but played out, wasn't it? But it was... Um, it was Lindsay's last Jalo, and it's kind of the thing that always struck me and I always wondered I, I just don't know um, if he had his tongue in his cheek when he was making this or what what you know what he was thought he was setting out making a, a really good thriller um, because he obviously could make good thrillers but then he went on to make very trashy movies as well so I wasn't really sure what do you know what I mean where his head was at yeah. when he made this film um whether or not the cast would try not to laugh or they were taking it seriously um, it's difficult because it's interesting when um, when Chris was talking about um, about how the these films were seen in Italy by the working classes in the cinemas um, and seen very much it was people would be talking and then you know this film was very much felt like it was made for that kind of audience um, whereas a film like The Fifth Chord didn't feel, doesn't feel like that it's much no. more serious 
Uh, whereas this was very much you could go away, turn around, have to chat to your friends, turn back, and there'd be a pair of breasts or a killing or some funny dialogue or something happening. Um, you know, it's very much kind of a party movie almost. But uh, yeah, I wasn't really sure if Lindsay was kind of where you know where he was thinking because I don't know if you know, but the um, I think it's was it Paula's the, the no was it Paula the first girl who gets killed in the um, the young girl gets murdered in the the the, um, the funfair ride. ride. The mother um, was actually is played by Lindsay's wife. Yeah, yeah, and so so she was obviously it was a bit of a family affair, as it were. Yeah, that took uh, me a little bit because I'm like, oh, this is the only thing she's been in. That's crazy. Yeah, I think she did quite a lot of stuff behind the cameras with his films. Yeah, she that's... did some script supervising and stuff like that. But yeah, I just wonder because I know um, is it I can't remember who who directed Troll Two now, but famously. He, <laughs> Um, when he got invited to America to to um, to thing, and he thought he's going to turn up, and they're going to greet him like uh, Fellini or Pasolini or something, and then he realised, then they were, everyone's laughing, and then he realised actually they haven't redis- rediscovered his film as this kind of lost masterpiece of Italian cinema. It's they were just thought he was in on a joke, and then he pretends to be in on a joke, and it's just yeah, I just always wondered with Lenzi whether or not he really realised that he intended to make a really trashy. Jallo, um, and he was really behind that, or he was thinking he was making a very classy thriller. Well, I tried finding any interview with him that I could where he's talking about this, and I couldn't really find anything, at least in English, that I could figure out. But on um, the Spasmo um, interviews kind of thing, he says this thing. He says, um, that he was proud to break the traditional Argento conventions with the killer in black and the black gloves Mm. that, um, and that was like, kind of like a big thing. And I know, and then I was thinking, I'm like, but hasn't he done that before? And, um, like with, uh, seven blood stained orchids, there's the black glove stalker dude. But other than that, uh, I can't think of anything. Mm. Well, what films did he did? I mean, he, uh, I mean, that he did like Knife of Ice, didn't he, with yeah. um, Carol Baker? I mean, most of the ones he's done were fairly, were not typical because I mean, he he predated Argento, didn't he, with his yeah. um, um, Orgasmo and So Sweet, So Perverse, and you know the various titles of that. So they were quite, um, um, they yeah predated Argento, and I wonder if they the success of those sparked Argento getting into making the Jello. I. I I don't know because it's this is one of the things for me personally that fascinates me about the Jello is it's still very much an untapped genre in a lot of ways that for us who aren't Italian um, don't really you know you don't see articles you, there aren't books um, of interviews with you know Barbara Boucher and Edwige Fenech and you know all these different people talking about these films there's just not really very much out there is there no there's not mm. and even like a Wikipedia search comes up shit because I typed I went on um, Umberto Lindsay's Wikipedia page and there was a thing to click on eyeball and I'm like okay cool I'm gonna find out some stuff you know that I don't know click on eyeball and it's like an eyeball is the thing you see with out of your fucking head and I was like ah damn but um you know which was good because I didn't know what that was either so um that was helpful a little science course yeah but um back to uh best worst movie if you guys haven't seen that, 
Oh, yes. Yeah. Check that out. That is freaking comedy, dude. That He's is kind of a gruff old Italian by then, isn't he? Yeah, because he thought he made, like, goddamn Avatar or something with trolls. Yeah. And um, that's hysterical. <laughs> well, that's the thing with Lindsay. It's difficult to know, isn't it? I, I, I have no idea. I mean, just one little thing I was going to say, and I'm not, not boasting, but I'm going to, next month, I'm going to... Um, a seminar on Italian horror movies in in the UK uh, near London, and I'm I'm hopefully going to be interviewing Ruggiero Diodato and Luigi Cosi, uh, but not about you know the you know cannibal holocaust and all that stuff, but um, talk talk to them about the Giallo, and um, especially the obviously Luigi Cosi made um, his um, one Giallo, but I know he's a big fan of of the genre. But I wanted to talk to um, Ruggiero Diodato about, um, you know, the washing machine and, um, and you know, his, you know, the Phantom of Death and those kind of films. But broadly jello, although maybe not quite. But I just thought that'd be quite interesting. So I just wanted to kind of hear it from the horse's mouth almost, um, their views of what the jello and how it was regarded. Yeah. So I shall feed that back. Oh, my God, that would be awesome. When is that? Um, it's about, I think it's on May the 10th. So... Um, but I shall let you know how that goes. Uh, apparently, uh, Luigi Cosi is lovely, but sometimes in English. I have met him before, actually. I met him in Profondo Rosso in, in Rome when I was there about 10 years ago, or 10, 15 years ago. Um, the, the, Argento, the, the Argento shop in, in Rome, and I chat with him back then. Uh, but I'm sure he won't remember me, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I met Diodato once and got really scared. So, oh, I remember. Did you say you knocked, you, you drank his coffee? I tried to take a sip out of his coffee because he wasn't there. <laughs> it's uh, my fanboy. Yeah, I'm such yeah. an idiot, dude. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's just I'd love to know what Lindsay. And also, cause the trouble is now these days. I mean, Lindsay's 82, isn't he? So he's not going to be with us for much longer, quite very probably, you know. And so. Um, I, I did think, I thought I heard that someone like, um, uh, not Troy Howard, or somebody somebody like that was going to be writing a, a big Jello book. Did you hear that? Rumours about that? I have not. I, I've seen that there was um, a new documentary mm. that um, a couple weeks ago, it you could pre-order it on Amazon. It wasn't out yet. Right. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but... Um, I need to check and see if that's out yet. But I, I, I have horrible information. I'm sorry, everybody. But uh. <laughs> I mean, you've got, you know, there's the the Blood and Black Lace, the book that came out from Fab Press in the UK, which I don't know if you, if you guys got that or have you seen that. I do not. Yes. Yeah. Actually, yeah. gave it away as a, a little prize on my other show, covering okay. Giallo. So. Yeah. Well, creep. If you haven't got that, it's definitely worth getting. It's kind of probably the best book. I would say on the Jallo. Do you agree, Chris? At the moment, is it kind of uh, without anything else out there really, apart from I think there was the the, the academic book that. Um, um, sorry, Eric. If, would you agree that was the best book? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because it was, like you said, there's not a lot that they could have written about too much, as far as the Jolly scene goes. So, um, it's it wasn't I guess as, informate or fully, uh, developed as I was hoping it would be, but it's probably the best thing out there. Mm. Yeah, it just be. I just think it's because these films are now 40, 50 years old, aren't they? And they're going to be, uh-huh. you know, these people are going to be dying soon. So unless they get 
you know something decent out there with interviews and, and things it's it's going to be lost the funny thing that i've seen in interviews with these guys is that um like when i was watching um Lindsay do interviews he it's not that he gets irritated but like he feels like all of his the stuff he makes is amazing and wonderful and that's great every director should but when you see interviews with like Sergio Martino he's like almost laughing that anyone gives a shit about these movies anymore right it's like he's like i had like no idea and when we made these i had no clue that anyone would ever get the full print and watch them and put them out it, it's 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 neat to know that they had no idea that was ever going to happen right. you know what i'm saying people in 2014 studying their films yeah. academically yeah well, it was all before video wasn't it so i kind of guess they just thought they were going to be around for a week you know play to wow. the uh, the yokels in you know in um you know deepest dark it's um you know uh, tuscany or something and then and they'd be gone forever uh, I mean, they did. They did re-release a lot of these films, didn't they? I know, sort of, um, case of Bloody Iris. I've got a, I've got a, um, a poster downstairs. Of, um, I've got two posters for the film original posters, and one from the original release, and also one from a release in 1978. So before video, they did re-release these films if they were very popular. Yeah. But apart from that, you wouldn't have had a chance to see them, would you? And I kind of guess um, a lot of the people in them, you know, people like Susie Kendall and stuff, they're probably not living in fear exactly but they probably completely different people from the people they were when they made these movies yeah yeah which is what i think it's probably a bit like um all of the uh uh you know they they're coming the company now the uh vinegar syndrome re-releasing all the pornos really obscure pornos in the 1970s and i imagine there's lots of actresses and actors who were in those back in the day that thought these would never see the light hold uh, the phone yeah. what just happened <laughs> They're releasing pornos of you, creep. Yes. Uh, what yes. company is this? It's Vinegar Syndrome. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna check that out. They're releasing all very, very obscure um, sort of pornos and, and stuff from the 70s. All the real kind of strange of the roughies and all those kind of real stuff that you know the Grindhouse ones beyond Grindhouse, and they're kind of giving them like um, in some cases like Blu-ray releases. Oh my god. And. Um, <laughs> There's there's one I can't the name of it, but it was it was a completely black cast, and I got it because we did we did um, uh, an audio commentary for their Savage Water release, um, which got pulled because the the person who sold them the rights didn't actually have, own the rights, uh, so it got pulled at last minute. But we got sent loads of copies of things. To be honest, it's not my you know it's not my bag, but I kind of watched some of them just to uh, to see what it was like. But it's um, yeah, it just makes me think. You know, a lot of these people were in these films. Uh, I, you know, and they probably just don't think anyone's, you know, has any interest in them anymore. Um, and I imagine a lot of the pretty women, not being sexist, but like a lot of them, I know some of them did go off and marry, you know, um, royalty and various people, didn't they? Didn't um, Edwige Fenique, didn't she marry a prince or something? Yeah, I believe that. And then there was somebody else. Oh, uh, shoot. I was just reading that up. But yeah, continue. Um, no, I'm looking saying, for it. Um, 
yeah, just just coming back to the central thing about whether Lindsay, like you say, I have heard that about him that he's he's very full of himself and and right, quite rightly so. Um, but whether or not he would, that's why I'm thinking, was he? Were they all laughing or trying to keep a straight face while they were making eyeball, or were they all thinking they were making don't look now? Which um, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's one of these unanswered questions, and unless somebody does a, a massive book, and was that an eyeball pun? It was an eyeball pun. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think eyeball ever got released in the UK, as far as I can tell, even on video. I don't think it came out of the cinema that I've ever seen. But um, um, I'm sure we'll come on to you know the uh, the the marvelous American release fairly soon. Trying to see. I don't have a UK release for it on this list here. So I, I think guess it, not. It would have been cut probably if it did come out. They did. They did re- release quite a lot of um, Jali to UK cinemas. I was a bit too. I was too young to see them at the time, obviously. But they released them as, as sexy. They kind of played up the whole sexiness of them and released them with X certificates, trying to lure in people thinking they're going to be watching pornos, especially the Edwidge Fenique ones. Um, and they gave them sexy titles as well, like Orgasmo. Like Orgasmo, and there was one. <laughs> there was the one. Which is the one? I think it was the uh, Your Vice um, um, one, and they called it something like "Come Play with Me" or something like that. All right. Uh, you know, so they gave those kind of slight saucy titles. It wasn't "Come Play with Me," it was something like that. It was like "Excite." No, it "Excite Me." That was it. They called it, which. Um, so you would have seen lots of trippy hippies and black cats and stuff. So it wouldn't have been very sexy. I wouldn't have yeah. thought. Yeah, I know that the the longer releases of Eyeball are actually in countries like Spain and Italy, you know, mm. the ones you think of as being more freewheeling, while mm. uh, U.S. and Germany, the one that we got to see, is about almost ten minutes shorter. So it's um, it's always difficult to know those things, isn't it? Whether or not they're actually accurate, because right. um, you, you just don't know. I can't imagine because it's such a lean, mean movie, isn't it? In, in yeah, I'm way. trying to think what ten minutes could get cut out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've seen some films where uh, creep, you'll have a copy, and I'll have a different copy, and I'll be able to see which ones, um, which scenes have been cut because they haven't been remastered or restored. And it's usually a lot of transitional scenes where there isn't any dialogue, just um, maybe a, a pan over a city or something like that. Yeah. That they cut, so it's not always as glamorous as you might think. Uh, it's not always the sex and the gore that's cut. Just the, the best thing I've ever seen like that was on um, Creepers and Cast. I was interviewing Leslie Sims, who was in a movie called Blood Mania, and we were talking about the movie. And in the cut I had, there this one girl was the killer. And she had never seen that cut. And she was talking to me. And as we're going, it turns out she's the killer. And she's like, yeah, I'm the killer. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not what I have. And she's like, oh, yeah, I was in on it. And I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? It was just like, it blew my mind, dude. I was just like, wow. I would. Be- that sounds great. That sounds great. I would I'd love if it was 10 minutes of Paulette in different classes. Cutting yeah. to her with like dun 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 and then coming back to Mark looking gormless uh, in very shut up it'd be great wouldn't it I'll tell you like in a in a few minutes but not right now sometime later <laughs> yes. you just gotta trust me god get off my back sounds like fucking Napoleon Dynamite he's like ugh 
in the room when um uh what's her name navia was in the hospital room and the nurse is like okay sweet dreams honey she turns around and walks out and there's like the scariest painting of a nun like <laughs> did you see those pictures in her, the hospital room oh man spanish so, hospital rooms it was it was horrifying i don't know how right. i'm sleeping that but the reveals of the killer like in the hospital room was amazing and when she was, uh, when Lisa was um, in the dark room bathroom that wasn't very dark, that was great. I, I love seeing the killer. Like even though, like in all actuality, that person probably couldn't even see an inch in front of them. <laughs> right. I really like it. I really do. I think it looks great. Yeah, lots of great framing uh, when they put the killer in there, either in like the doorways or just outside of the shadows. That close up of the face is great. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, like you said, talking about the beginning with the the creepy red demons, and then when we get, actually get to that scene, and you just like you said, looking out for that killer uh, in every corner, and when you get to when you get to finally see it, it's kind of a jump, but the skull face was kind of weird in that one too. Okay, um, I have one thing I wanted to talk about. Did you guys find it at all amusing after looking back at it that when they were at the little amusement park? Paulette was um, shooting this like rifle game where she would have to like close an eye and aim. Mm. Did you notice that? Shy <laughs> was she closing? I don't know. Her back was turned to the camera. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to say it'd be funny which eye she would be using. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to throw all these people off the set. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you one other thing that um, that uh, for a film where a, a lesbian has her throat cut and gets stabbed several times in the stomach. It's quite a kind of pro-gay film, isn't it? In so much, I know Burlington, Vermont's known as being very liberal, isn't it? But you have this lesbian couple on this holiday in 1975, Spain, and no one bats an eyelid, do they? No. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't know if it was meant to be progressive, but um, it was, you know, everyone seemed to be very just fine with it. Even, it the, even the priest guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's an interracial lesbian couple to boot, so. Well, absolutely. And it's a wig as well, isn't it? Because Naiba's many wigs. So maybe they just thought she was a different woman every night. But um, uh -huh. I've never known. I know they, they used to have a love of wigs in these films, didn't they? And, um, oh, dude, that, that blonde Afro wig thing she had on. Or the yeah. curl, oh, that looked so good on her, man. Divine. <clears throat> Not, not divine. Not. Well, she didn't look like divine, but the not, wig was. But divine. you know who kind of looked like a cross between divine and Katy Perry? <laughs> the flamingo dancer. Yes. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> that scene was sad as shit too, because like that little girl, she's like wanting their attention, and they're just staring at this dancer, and she's like all bummed out and hurt and gets up and walks off and I'm just gonna go take a dip in the pool or whatever that was like a pretty heavy thing for such a sleazy movie I felt mm. well, she was feeling neglected yeah just it, because like that whole movie creepy freaking tour guide is like trying to pet her ass her the whole fucking movie you know and um I don't know. That was just like, and like her dad wasn't paying attention to her, and she saw that her dad was getting really happy watching some skank dance. 
You know, the whole thing was really weird. That yeah. scene was very, very weird. Well, to, to Jenny, it was Jenny, wasn't it? She's like playing the little girl, but it's uh, Veronica Muriel, I think. Mm-hmm. I like, looked up about her, and there's just like loads of photos. She's she was in loads of sexy films, and um, there's lots of pictures of her with no clothes on. So I don't know how old she was in this, but it kind of makes sense that she was kind of in a film like this, um, and then she went on to have like a kind of an exploitation career. She kind of played like a Lolita character, almost. <laughs> With her, uh, was she with her grandpa? Is that what they said? Was it with was her, I think it was her dad, because he kept yeah. saying, if, she, if I catch her spooning with someone, I'm going to put my cigar out on her forehead or whatever the yeah. fuck he said. But, yeah, but she seemed kind of flirtatious I, with some of those older men. I love the scene when she's attacked in the poolside, and she kind of tur- they do that kind of quick cutting, and then she turns around, puts her hands across her, her breast or her shoulder, and she's boss-eyed, and then... She walks back and you see her jumping backwards off the pool. She kind of literally leaps. She's obviously, you know, trying to hit her cues. So it looked completely unnatural. It, it was just very nicely done. And a really nice shot, actually, when they're all running through the woods. Well, the, um, the, the gardens and the camera hands, doesn't it? Follows them running through, which is quite, you know, there's um, some of the murder sequences, like the hospital room and the, the killing of Lisa in the way that was framed and, and filmed were very, you know, quite accomplished, weren't they? When you yeah. compare it to quite a lot of other, um, you know, uh, films of this kind of era, perhaps, or kind of low-budget movies, it was, um, you know, I think there was definitely talent there behind the camera. And the the zoom on this was really good. Because, like, a lot of these movies, like, I know, like, the 70s, like, the zoom lens came out, it was, like, a big, huge thing, and everyone was all excited about it. And... But like, a lot of times it's overdone or it just it starts to get annoying. Like, um, like a uh, five dolls, you know, like they'll zoom back and forth like twenty times, and then Bay of Blood, you know, it's like it gets a little old. But in this, like, they do it a lot, but it's nice. It, it never gets tiresome. Yeah. You didn't think it was kind of comical every time the, the tour guide did something, they just zoomed in on his face? Oh, it was great, dude. Like it was candid camera or something? Like that part where, like, the little spider thing jumps out of the thing, and he's, like, laughing, and then it zooms in, and he stops, like, just dead stop, and yeah. he winks. It's like, you pervy fuck. Like, yeah. it, Those zooms lent more for a comedic effect to me than anything dramatic. Well, there's the, the first time Paulette speaks everyone's in the tour bus or whatever uh-huh. and then um they're asking fucking some question about christopher columbus being spanish or something and then it's like a, a really like intense zoom on her and she's like oh yeah that italian spanish whatever america's stupid i don't remember what the fuck she said and then they pull back out and the guy's like what what'd you say huh? but like the whole like it wasn't just used for comedy, you know? It was like, and in fact, in that scene, it was almost a reverse comedy because they had to pull out to get the comedic effect of Boss Hog fucking, you know, it was like that whole fucking thing. It was good, dude. Yeah. I guess that's when when you guys are talking about Lindsay being sort of tongue-in-cheek with a lot of his stuff. That's that's what I was starting to think about during the discussion was was a lot of scenes like that with the practical joker um it's it's kind of it's difficult to take dialogue isn't it like when they the first autopsy and then they 
they asked the coroner, would you say the killer was a sadist? And he says, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out, right. It's, it's like, you, how would you say that with a straight face? Or actually, you know, I, it's very like typical. You get asked that daily. Yeah. Well, another thing that's really funny in these movies is that they'll go, it's a sex maniac. Like, it's like, oh, that's a thing. You know, a sex maniac. It, and I know that a lot of it... Um, the translations get different because if you watch these movies with um what was i watching the other day um I, I was watching death walks on high heels and i had the subtitles on it and the dub on it and it was like two fucking completely different movies like the dialogue was so different mm. um so there's that too you know the the dubbing is sometimes Oh, and Pieces as well. Have you watched um, the subtitles for Pieces when you're watching it? Yeah, I can imagine it'd be very different. Oh my god, it's totally different. But, um, I don't know. So that's just good times, good fun. And these are some of the things that I like about these movies. That you could you could watch it again for the first time because they're going to say something completely fucking different. Mm. You know, it's good stuff. Well, it's kind of, I mean, I think part of the joy, um, and especially for me, it's, it's liking these kind of the trashy, trashier end of 70s um, movies, exploitation and um, thrillers, is is the dubbing sometimes. And um, there was a, there was a, um, a, a program in, in UK, which I'm sure didn't make it to um, the US, but it might have done, called Euro Trash. And it was kind of in the 90s, and they basically, they were finding all these bizarre people in Germany and Italy doing, you know, really strange odd things like um, whittling uh, dildos out of pickles and having festivals things like that and they would they would dub all their voices because they'd be talking Italian or German and they dubbed them all in bizarre regional British kind of um, dialect have somebody in Rome speaking in a in a broad Brummy sort of Birmingham accent and things like that and that always reminded me of the the joy of the 70s um, exploitation and giallo is that you know a film like this or case of bloody iris if you've got um can't remember the name now the who was the the great character the the uh, marilyn wasn't it you know if you didn't have her dubbed if you're watching an italian you kind of lose some of the the, the joy of it in yeah. some ways i guess um and the same with 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 this as well i mean i mean i, I don't know i'm sure um um you know mark's um um performance in this i mean he just looks like he's on heroin throughout yeah. all horse tranquilizers and he's just thinking god i really need to get my you know get my roof done or my pool done so i'm just over here making this crappy movie in spain that no one's ever going to see and doesn't think we'd still be talking about it 40 years later but uh, <laughs> there you go. well i mean when you th talk about dubby making the movie can you imagine how fucking tiresome bloody moon would be if it didn't have that dubbing in it yeah like that's like probably one of my favorite dub movies ever that in um slugs i love mm. watching slugs um yeah. but it's just the dubbing is so ridiculous and so fun that like i don't know like i feel bad for people in italy sometimes <laughs> they, they don't get it like we do <laughs> Oh, well, no, it must be. And also, they, they must have had these um, companies where they would go to, they'd get these actors and actresses who would come in and be paid not very much to do these things. And them all sat around smoking, you know, uh, drinking copious amounts of J&B, getting pissed together, and they're having a great laugh 
dubbing these things. Well, it sounds like most of these people are the same people anyway. Like, you could watch, like, five different movies and could swear that the same two people are the leads in all the movies, like, voice-wise. I saw the Muppet movie going off on a complete different tangent um, when I was on holiday recently. We ended up watching the Muppet movie, and at the end of it, um, it said who voiced the Muppets, and it was only about four or five people did all of them. Um, so yes, I'm sure you know. Sure, you're right. It probably was a lot of the you know people, um, especially as we know a lot of children were dubbed by adults, weren't they? Usually women putting yeah. on voices. Yeah. So it was whether it was a, a, a creepy uh, stalker or it was the handsome lead. It was usually yeah the same voice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was a this was a man that was in Barber's. Um, um, or was it not Black Sabbath? It's the other one's Black Sunday, wasn't he? So he was in the, some pretty good movies. Yeah. Uh, but he just, I think, I mean, you had like a, it was the Italian film in the 70s, it was a bit of a graveyard, wasn't it, for um, Hollywood stars like Telly Savalas and people would go over to Italy to make yeah. B movies and think no one would ever see them. Um, but haha, little did they know. It was a different different realm for the men, or the the male actors, and then the female actors. It seemed like a lot of them were going over to almost start their careers. Mm-hmm. I mean, Carol Baker's a good. You know, she made so many. You know, Jali, and she's not. It's not. People don't really talk about her films, do they? Um, so much because they're not quite as entertaining, I don't think. But I mean, she made six or seven Jali. At and least. I think most of them were like pre-Bird with the Crystal Plumage, though. And I think that's probably why, because they have the that 60s... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, not... You know, just like that whole, like, beach blanket bingo mm. kind of feel. Even though, like, they're... Like, which the one aesthetic? is... The, yeah, yeah, it's... What's that movie where she's the race car driver? Is that... Um, paranoia. Uh, yeah, is that um, Jean Sorel? Yeah, but it's it's just like it has this. She looks like fucking Doris Day, you know, and yeah. um, it's that whole bit. It was funny. Um, I saw this video recently. Um, on YouTube, it's like uh, Carol keeps walking in, and it's like all these different movies where she. It's the same scene. She like walks in and finds her lover banging some chick and then she's like and then like turns around and runs out it's hysterical (laughs) oh my god good stuff yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's, yeah um you know i mean i don't want to do down eyeball because i say it's one of my favorite ever movies and even i think without the, the campiness there's still a lot it's just a lot it's, it's just so much fun isn't it yeah well it's... the whole deal with um nabia or whatever her name is um like she's she gets the photos from some weird little kid with a weird peewee herman voice and um her phone starts ringing and she looks at it and she's like yeah i just don't have time to answer my phone i gotta split mm-hmm. and that annoys me because it's like how hard is it to answer a phone and then she runs to the castle the whole thing and she's freaked out. She finds the priest dead. And instead of running out of the castle, she goes deeper into the bowels of it. And then we see the scene where um, Paulette is pulling the chick's eye out. And the first time I saw this, I seriously screamed out loud. I couldn't believe that she was pulling out the eye 
to put it in her eye socket. Yeah. Like, you know, the wiring doesn't have to work, whatever, you know, but like the idea that that's what was happening, I thought that was so freaking hardcore when I saw this. I was like, Jesus! I lost it. And then they go outside and um it's like that same thing with torso with the key on and the killer puts the key on the paper yeah she she comes and puts the key in her necklace so she could escape to get killed or whatever and then the best part of this bit right here is she's gonna kill um, the chick and mark shows up and he's like hey the jig is up or whatever and she's like, no. And he's like, and I know Alma wasn't here. And she seemed more upset that he knew that she set up the whole hotel thing than the fact that she just got caught with one eye missing with a knife up some chick's throat. Classic. And then the cops like, oh, bang, my job's done. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah I, pretty I useless, the, the whole film. <laughs> right. That whole end is just so epic on so yeah. many different levels. It's just... Yeah, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought about because it kind of starts back when he finally realizes what it is that he's he's been missing the whole time, and that the dagger was in the the wrong hand. That Alma is uh, left-handed, and the knife was in her right hand. I think I got that right, but that was a cool bit. Yeah, and the part that I don't get is he's like, "Oh, how could I have been so blind?" No pun. <laughs> this she, I thought they were good luck charms, like. So she has a bunch of eyeballs that he knew about. Yeah, so yeah, the inspectors show him this box of glass eyes. And uh, he was trying to say that... So did this have to do with the girl that was was killed? Or is he talking about Paulette that had the different eye collection? That's where I got lost. Was he? Do you know, Justin, was he saying Paulette has an eye collection? Or... Is it Terry, I, I think, was yeah, the I, I kind of... I think I was so delirious every time I watched by that point. It, it's a crescendo of of all of that happening, and they kind of... It goes into the whole eyeball thing. Of course, it gets eclipsed com- completely by what comes next, but uh-huh. I've never... Yeah, I've never quite got what that was. I imagine yeah. that Paulette has an eyeball collection, um, but does she... It's like you say, the whole idea that she's pulling out these eyeballs, popping them into her own eye, and getting away with it, um, you know, obviously, it's not something that would happen. I'm sure people would have um, would have worked it out. But um, yeah, it's it is bizarre, isn't it? But because because they yeah. didn't find the eyeballs on the other victims, right? So homegirl no, home was yeah. walking around with different fuckers' yeah. eyeballs in her head. Yes. Yeah, that's what's confusing though. Cause... Oh my god! So the the collection she had were real eyeballs. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. Oh my god! It's yeah, I so thought those were glass awesome. eyes. Oh. They, yeah, I was still trying to process the whole <laughs> the dagger was in the wrong hand scene. And then all of a sudden they whip out the, this box of glass eyes. But I that's the thing. Eyes. They give you something really good. Like the whole like, oh no, she was left-handed. Yeah. And they give you this whole like, this is the, Alma doing a bunch of things with her left hand in different uh-huh. outfits. And this whole thing. And that was a really good like little twist there. And then they just fucking kind of said, okay, but yeah, this movie's silly, so we're going to go right from there to this thing about the eyeballs. (laughs) The whole motive at the end of uh, playing doctor with her friend and getting her eyeball cut out. And then uh, her friend was never punished. So that's why she's out killing people. I thought 
I thought that was a little uh, underwhelming, but then again, that's that's kind of the but part seriously, of these kind of films. nothing matters right there because that chick yeah. just tried to put someone else's fucking eyeball in her head. Exactly. Like she could have said. I saw a Mickey Mouse cartoon and got really mad when I was masturbating, and I would not have even blinked because that was so fucking crazy for She's me. Still wearing other people's eyeballs. Oh my yeah. god, dude. Oh yeah. my god. But you still got the the best is yet to come, isn't it? Don't you think oh, with yes. the um, the reveal, the photo reveal? Oh yeah. And which must be my favorite bit in the whole movie. In fact, I had we have tried to um, recreate that on the Ramblers before. Just, really? which I like this movie but um, but uh, yeah I, I creep do you want to do the honours about the reveal of the photo yes Okay. so this photo which at this point doesn't even matter anymore but when um, maybe is like modelling with her chrysanthemum or whatever there's one of these pictures that Lisa was taking that like right off to the side is Paulette looking all fucking balls to the walls ready to go stabbing with freaking the gloves on and the knife in her hand yeah. it's just amazing it's incredible isn't it i just i can't think of anything better that is for me that was when i first saw that we were just on the floor i just kind of the idea that paulette would be stood there with the red gloves with a knife in the middle of the ramblas nowhere near the girl she kills just in the middle she stood there looking crazed in the back, it was just—it was just hilarious. My only <laughs> wish was that that is how they actually found out, and that's how we found out. Yeah, that would have been just epic as shit. Oh my god, that would have been so much fun. And then we go and find everything, yeah. you know. But they were trying to melt the whole priest thing. I feel like the best—they oh, totally were. But the best line in the whole movie, dude. After the um, Nabia comes out of the castle and she's about to get killed or whatever, Paulette goes, "Yes, it was I." Uh-huh. <laughs> and then pauses, and you know that that's like just a fucking like. I mean, that had to have been uh, some of the Italian too, but I mean, it's Going back just to the dub. yeah, yeah. But that was so funny, and it's like. That's why this movie's so cool for me because I was shocked as crap when she tried to put that eyeball in her head, and then it goes seconds later to her saying that. Yeah, and, and it the, was just like, oh, it has the fact that it was in that in the bowels of the church, like you were saying, uh, just made it all the more macabre and uh, kind of callbacks to those earlier Italian horror films. Uh, I, I I couldn't see her putting an eyeball into her head in like a hotel room. It had to be down yeah. in the basement of the church. And to be fair, the red gloves and the blue dress thing, that worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, she is French. What? <laughs> yes. Well, one thing we haven't talked about, well, we have touched on, but it was the whole, the other genius of this and why the thing, when I've read all the negative reviews, which I had a look at some of them on IMDb, and a lot of people don't get this movie, do they? Um, there's a lot of negativity around this. But they, uh, it's something that they say is the negative for this movie, which I think is part of the genius of it, is this whole idea of being on holiday with multiple homicides and carrying on with a holiday. Oh, yeah. It's I just think I wrote that down, too. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think the reason why, though, is that they were stuck there. They didn't have their passports. They had to stay in the hotel together or whatever. And as soon as uh, Martinez was cleared 
I guess. Or no, he wasn't even cleared yet, I don't think. But he's like, hey, you know, we're still doing this shit. Is that cool? And the cop's like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't know how to do my job. It's fine. You know? You're all suspects, but that's okay. As long as you're suspects together. Well, they sort of say, off to Sitges, can't you? Which, um, which is where they have this big horror film festival each year, apparently. And I don't know if they were having it back then, if that was an in-joke. But those Sitges isn't a very big place. So, yeah, go off and do your thing and we'll, you know, one of you will die horribly. But, yeah, just carry it. It's kind of... I almost feel like it was him saying, yeah, it'll make my job easier if you guys actually keep getting killed. Like... The process yeah. of elimination, I'll be able to figure this out pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly. You know, I only have a week left. I gotta fucking knock this out quick. <laughs> I gotta go trout fishing. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it was so tied up in a neat little bow. Yeah. Like the happy everything. ending reunion. Oh my god, dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Alma was obviously, you know, one Amaretti biscuit short of a collection, wasn't she? Anyway. <laughs> and. <laughs> And, but Mark is still kind of comes out, and this is the typical, I kind of guess, Italian machismo thing, wasn't it? Even though he was a, a shit throughout the film, and, and obviously was having sex with his secretary behind his wife, his mentally ill wife's back. Um, he comes out at the end of it as the hero, doesn't he? And he gets his wife back and everything. So it's everything is good in the in the realm of the Italian male which essentially is probably what obviously the film was made for, I kind of guess. And he still knew that Homegirl had a bunch of eyeballs with her and didn't put it together. Yes. Douchebag. <laughs> the only inconvenience he's got now is he's got to get a new secretary. That's the only, the only you know, the only bad oh. thing for him, isn't it? Um, love, love is blinded. Oh, so, damn. So but, um, I mean, this is a film, um, I mean, just going on to very quickly, was the, the, I think the reason this is quite well known in the States, I can guess, or relative terms compared to a lot of um, uh, other Jali, is that it was, it was released, wasn't it, in the States by um, Joseph Brenner in 78, um, um, as, as a kind of, we're uh, really pushing forward the whole gore thing, wasn't it? Yeah. Is that the posters are, it was screaming eyeball, isn't it? You've got like the killer, well, they got the person in, in I think, in the red cape and the skull. Yeah, with, with the chick. And over the, the bloody socket and they're holding out, a, you know, an eyeball to the camera. Looks like a the, fucking Iron Maiden cover, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I just wonder what, because this film was released um, in 78, originally in the States, um, and the same year as Halloween, um, and it must have looked completely unsophisticated mustn't it to American audiences I would have thought um, you know as far as all very old-fashioned I kind of guess because things change very rapidly yeah. throughout the 70s um, but it was a real precursor wasn't it to this kind of slash move I kind of well, guess it's a body count well what movie. I would say is that probably like my problems I have with this movie um, from a technical level probably in 78 the film probably still looked good because if it was a issue with um the developer that they used back then on that kind of film where it gets orangey after a while back then it probably still looked relatively pristine but um but i could be wrong i don't know but uh, probably not we <laughs> do, but imagine if you watch, you watch this, and then when it was re-released the next year on the double bill with Suspiria, and you talk yeah. about pork and cheese as far as movies go. Oh my god! You know, if you watched Eyeball, I can't imagine that being a double bill. It doesn't seem to make 
any sense to me. <laughs> Apart from they were obviously, presumably, fairly successful when they were released originally. Um, but I mean, I'm one of those. I know you've talked about this before, but just very briefly, that I do consider um, Suspiria a Jalo to some degree. Um, and I know you've talked about that before. I'm one of the few. Well, the to be fair, the more and more, because like since we've been doing the show, I've been watching more and more that I've never seen before, like more, um, the more obscure ones that I could get my hands on. And what I have noticed is um, as much as I always assumed that um, most Jali were these amazing body count thrillers, a lot of them aren't. Like you might, you'll lucky if you get one person dead, you know, or maybe this guy over here will commit suicide, but there was a murder at the beginning of the movie that they're trying to find out kind of thing. Um, so the more and more I dig into these, I find that there's like, I, because I like to categorize things overly ridiculously, like I could categorize like maybe like five different types or maybe even more of Jali that I've been watching, but um, I'm trying to just um, appreciate more and just kind of relax a little bit. Yeah. To be fair, because I, I was pretty hard on um, a couple people <laughs> that rhymes <laughs> with like Barnento, but yeah. No, I think you're, I think you're right. I mean, it's I, you know I can definitely see where that's coming from. I just think it's the you know Argento. If you stripped away from the um, um, the supernatural stuff for Suspiria, you end up with a story of a, a killer targeting girls in a, in, a, in a ballet school, and it's it. So it, it he was obviously him moving away from the giallo um, and being quite bored with it, I imagine, but keeping enough of the commercial interest or kind of aspect. Um, it's, it's famous for trying different things, um, but again, it's just kind of. Um, in, I know the the English dub of Suspiria has got some quite arch um acting you know especially all like Susie snake and all that kind of stuff going on in it but um but compared to eyeball i just can't it just it's it doesn't it doesn't work for me as a double bill i mean i love both movies i think they're fantastic yeah. but um I, I you know i would have it would be interesting to see what an audience how an audience would have reacted to it i'm sure the filmmakers were even more upset <laughs> yes. Well, I think, unfortunately, with Argento, the more he goes on, the more he becomes, you know, he's he's on the verge of making an eyeball himself, isn't he, probably? Well, I kind of think he did a little worse than that already, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the one people, though, that I'll say that um, I could watch Jallo and not want to kill myself. I've never seen it. I've never been able to bring myself it's, to watch it. I... It's not as... I mean, it's bad, but it's... It's... If you if you go into it... Like, what has been nice for me lately is I know that pretty much everything he's made in the last 15 years or so has not been amazing. With some exception. But I could go in knowing that and then kind of appreciate it. I just feel like with Argento, a lot of the amazing things he did back in the 70s, I think a lot of the credit needs to go to his cinematographers, because as soon as you take that away from him, he's not as amazing as everyone thinks he is. Mm. 
but well, it's probably I think he has in his mind's eye. He says, "I want to do this and I want to do that," and all these kind of fantastic mm-hmm. acro shots and sweeping, you know, things. And he, but he had the people and the budget to make them happen to realize yeah. that, didn't he? Um, you saw a glimpses of it. We covered uh, Non Hosono Sleepless on on Hysteria Continues um, a couple of episodes back, and you had still had some of that in there. But um, I just find it difficult to believe that Dracula 3D really was the film he wanted to make. It that just... I have not seen. <laughs> no, I haven't either. But I've seen the clip of the the um, praying mantis. Um, climbing the, the staircase, which is kind of in the right hands would be quite nightmarish, but it just looks like a sci-fi, you know, you know, praying mantis nado or something. It just, it's very cheap looking, and it's, you know, I don't, I don't. It's a shame. I've not known any filmmaker necessary to get worse this this badly, or get get as bad as this. Because um, certainly, if you look at some um, Brunel and other filmmakers that the older they got they the, the more outlandish experimental and you know fantastic films they made you know whereas Argento either's lost it or just doesn't care or, or whatever I don't I don't know I think uh, a lot of it too though was the media at the time like the late 70s early 80s the directors that came out of there they had like Fangoria and you had like fans and then you had the horror convention starting and you had all this stuff because even like Wes Craven and John Carpenter and Toby Hooper, George Romero, like they're making stuff that is not on par with what they made. But I almost believe it's a thing because so many people were telling us that this is the greatest stuff ever that we start to believe it. You know, it's like, and I'm not trying to like take anything away from anybody, but I'm just saying like there are people that we put up on pedestals because we were told to you know what yeah. i'm saying and i just i feel like there's a lot of in in the genre that there's a lot of people who don't go that route and and to be fair like and i'm not trying to toot my horn here but like even like 6 years ago the movies i were making 6 years ago were way crazier and way like more exploitive than what I do now, you know, and I know that, you know, but um, I just, I don't know what it is. I, I, I think, I don't know. Now yeah, I'm getting all introspective here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think just, uh, I mean, just following on from that, I don't know, it's not exactly getting off subject, but do you, one of the things we talked about on Hysteria Continues about the Jalo and um, is this kind of nouveau Jalos that are coming out like um, Barbarian Sound Studio which are kind of not exactly a jello, but all the, you know, the um, uh, Amir and um, the colours, body tears or whatever the title is, I'm paraphrasing there, that they seem to miss the the point of the jello, that they look fantastic and if it's all style and no substance, um, that it's very much the, you know, you, they get the sound down, the music right. But the fact is that at the end of the day, these were based on trashy, um, you know, populist novels weren't they written yeah. for you know um and there was the fun to them um and nobody's making them but i just don't know whether or not you could actually make a jalo like eyeball like um uh, the case of bloody iris now i don't think you can uh, you, you couldn't you couldn't without turning it into a trauma movie could you really that's yeah you know i i kind of guess that time's gone but i've not really seen anyone try it and when someone like argento does with like non hosono or maybe jalo or the card player 
it doesn't really work, does it? Not no. Whole, well, my problem with Argento is, I mean, one of my many problems is, is um, he likes putting ugly women in his films. Like the majority of the girls in his movies are not glamorous, are not anything to write home about. Whereas in like you have uh, any, I mean, fuck, you could throw a rock at any fucking movie that was made in between 1970 and 1975 and there would be like at least three to four knockouts in it. You know, like super like fashion model looking chicks. And Argento, like, not to take huge things away, but, like, his wife he was married to is not that attractive. Like, he he doesn't, like, Jennifer Connelly is, like, an exception to the rule as he was, like, going, but his the women in his movies are very mannish. Like, they have very square jaws and very hard features, you know? It's ironic, though, isn't it? Because he said, famously said, it's um, it's um, I kill beautiful women. Because uh, again, paraphrasing, because it's it's um, more interesting than watching a, an ugly woman or a man die. <laughs> so, I mean, it's the whole eye of the beholder thing, I guess. But yeah. um, well, that's obviously his type, isn't it? Um, um, but but again, with non Hosono, there was the whole talk about whether or not the the, the woman who dies at the beginning was a transsexual because he used Eva Robbins famously transsexual in Tenebrae mm-hmm. so that whole mannish woman and um, Daria Nicoldi in is like you say is a is a kind of um, a handsome woman I think yeah. you could put it well like, and then like just he does that a lot and like in Cat of Nine Tales even like with the the drag club mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying like there is a definite um, allure for him with that lifestyle, you know. He won. I don't know if you. I think you did talk about it on the show, but when he talked about, it, he wanted to make um, a, a Jalo with all gay characters, didn't he? He wanted to do an all gay Jalo, and he was talked out of it. And I think for somebody who's got, had very interesting ideas and quirky ideas, it's just such a shame to see him go off in and making bad sci-fi movie versions of Dracula and. You know, Phantom of the Opera and things like that. It's just a shame that somebody who's got this kind of raw talent and this interesting eye is not is not making films like that. To my mind, I kind of quite like the fact that he did use kind of not uh, kind of um, not ugly women, but women who weren't necessarily traditionally beautiful. I think yeah. that's quite for, to me that was quite interesting. Um, but I can definitely see the allure of something, you know, the um, and I wonder why he never made films like Barbara Boucher or or Edwidge Fenwick and you know I I do wonder what like say Sergio Martino and you know the Martino the brother you know if there was rivalry at the time between oh I'm sure because there was there was rivalry wasn't it with Lucio Fulci supposedly although apparently they admired each other but I think they were quite they had that rivalry well I so, feel like they all felt that he was like this young kid who was trying to take their shit. Mm. Like, that's how I see it. You know, like, I mean, he does Bird with the Crystal Plumage and then explodes. Yeah. You know, and they're like, who the fuck is this guy kind of thing. But to be fair, like, um, Do You Like Hitchcock is relatively enjoyable. I like that one a little bit. That's a fun watch um, as far as, like, newer stuff of his. But, I mean, have a couple drinks and watch Jello. It's, it's not 
horrifying. Yeah, I've got it. It's just kind of this idea of Adrian Brody and a false nose. Just <laughs> something about it. Just me. I just kind of can't quite bring myself to watch it. But I'm, I, I will. I will force myself to watch it. And I'm sure it won't be as bad as I, I thought. Just one other thing, just on, um, just because it was my my one chance being on the show. But just to ask about Chris was mentioning about the um, um, before when he was on about who was watching these movies, and I, I always had this question about. Um, my understanding with Argento and Bird of the Crystal Plumage, it was a breakout jello that it was watched by and embraced by the middle classes and they kind of became a cool celebra in, in Italy. Um, and so it was watched outside of the, the general audience for the trashier jello. Is that is that what your understanding is as well? That he was um, because when I've spoken to Italian people and I've um, you know, I've worked with a few and I've asked them about movie directors and I said to Mario Barva who they were they all knew who Dario Argento was so he seemed to be like the you know the number one as it were filmmaker for horror it was his name was synonymous with horror and thrillers but didn't um, Suspiria and Inferno not play well in Italy I don't know I don't know I mean the fact is uh, uh, yeah I, I think the say... 80s really helped him a lot too like with... yeah yeah I mean, he went down with things like um, demons and um, opera and the use of heavy metal music in there. That was very much courting um, an adolescent audience, wasn't it? Yeah. A pop audience. Whereas Inferno was kind of his art house movie, wasn't it? Which was complete opposite of a populist movie, wasn't it? It was. Um, it went it took Mar- what Maria Bava had done and stuff, and just went completely off into the art house, um, you know, without it looking over his shoulder almost. And I know that it got very poor reception in the States, but in Italy, I don't know, because I know he's very big in France. He was seen as an auteur and, you know, a major director throughout the 70s and 80s, probably not so much now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of, um, it's it seems to me that he's tried to court um, populist movies and trying to get back on track with like all the heavy metal stuff in opera, which I didn't mm. like recently. It worked in Demons because of what it was, and I know that he didn't direct that. But it's, you know, it kind of, you know, Argento, if he'd made opera in 1981, he wouldn't have put heavy rock in it, would he? No. Nope. It would have been opera, which I think would have worked better, you know, personally. But, um, yeah. But I will say Tenebrae is one of my favorites. So. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Like, it's an inc- as much as I want to say bad stuff about him, I got to. <clears throat> I gotta cut him a piece of steak every once in a while. Yeah. But Umberto Lindsay. <laughs> yes. Umberto. <laughs> Man, he's probably so pissed that we just spent like 15 minutes talking about Dario Argento on his show. He's not the only one. <laughs> he's um, Yes. Oh my god. But that's good stuff, though. Like, I don't know. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say about Eyeball before I completely forgot, and I think I completely forgot. So, did you guys have any other Eyeball news or trivia or anything like that? No, like I said, this one was a lot, a lot, of, a lot of stuff hard to find on, on Eyeball. Uh, myself, so uh, I was caught in a little wormhole of just looking up Umberto Lenzi films and other films that these people were in. But it, as for this film itself, 
other than those different uh, cuts that I was looking up, the different uh, run times. I couldn't really see a lot other than all the different alternate titles that this one got. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. <clears throat> so You're the, welcome. Thank you. Um, do you have all the titles written out? Uh, just the, I guess the main ones. I didn't write down all the German ones, or I mean, other than the Secret Killer, but um, the different language ones, like the Turkish one, I didn't write down. But I do have the the original Italian one being Gatti Rossi in Labyrintho de Vetro. That was Red... almost very good. With a cold, yeah. <laughs> Trying my hardest, but Red Cats in a Maze of Glass was mm. the translated title of that. Other than that, it just has the Devil's Eye, the Eye the secret killer and wide-eyed in the dark i don't know if you guys had any other ones i um translated with my awesome google translate program um we have eyeball and eye in the dark red dress killer and then the german uh labyrinth of terror <clears throat> not a whole lot of labyrinth in there but yeah other than the stuff. Italian one had a maze of glass in their title too, so yeah. Maybe maybe it was like they're trying to make us feel as viewers that we were caught in a maze. I don't know. A maze of red herrings. Yeah. Yes. Red cats. I think it's um, again whether or not they play out how they play in Italian. Whether they you know for us they they seem very almost floral, don't they, or very kind of over the top these um uh discre- you know the, the names yeah but um whether or not in italian they seem much more prosaic or whatever or if that's the right word i don't i don't know but um but yeah to go from the you know the red cat in the glass maze or whatever to eyeball very much a kind of grindhouse title isn't it uh-huh. well that's another thing that um in the Lindsay interviews i saw one of the people asked him um in a time when all of these movies had really long names. I mean, Eyeball is obviously a, not the original title of it, but like with like Orgasmo and Spasmo and Paranoia and um, uh, what is it? So Sweet, So Perverse. Is that what it is? Um, they were asking him like why he would use titles like that. And he was, he seemed irritated again at this question and he was trying to explain because what he does is like art compared to the stuff that was coming out kind of thing. Like what he does is um, psychological thrillers kind of thing. It was, it was just a neat little tidbit. Yeah, but he, was, he was pissed that um, his movies would come out with different titles and different cuts because I guess in, um, in Spasmo in the American release of it, they had um, George Romero uh, direct extra scenes to put in the film. Mm. And he didn't know until he came to America to see a screening of it. Right. And was livid. But it sounds, it sounds like he probably did think, um, it doesn't sound like he had much sense of humor about him then. So he probably does think the eyeball was, don't look now. Well, I feel like too, like it, in the in the in the drawing room I guess like when this was thought up and the ideas behind it it seems like there was probably a lot of like humor in it and then as they got going he's like oh dude this is really good but <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try to church this up a little bit here but um, 
That's the kind of feel I got from it. Because it's yeah. ridiculous. There's so many ridiculous moments in this. Mm. I'd love to talk to um, Martine Brochard, who's, I think she's still acting. She's in a TV miniseries this year. So um, I just wonder what they thought. You know, if they're looking back now. Because as I say, like people like Susie Kendall are in hiding, or appear to be, uh-huh. you know, off the face of the earth. You know, they don't do any anything anymore. You never, hear, you know, they obviously they're still alive, but uh, you know, um, a lot of these Italian the people in it who aren't dead are still kind of acting. Um, you know, I think Rosella Falk, who I think she passed away recently, but she was doing stuff until quite recently. I think it's interesting too how when you talk, when you hear them, the, these directors talk about this stuff, they talk about how the money fell out of film and there was money in TV, so that's where they went. Mm. And they just started directing television shows and stuff like that. Um, well, that's what Lindsay it says in his, um, his kind of bio that he, he moved to TV um, and then did some unproduced or stuff that was never shown. Um, and then sort of retired, you know, essentially. But he's a part of the book, right? Is he? I okay. think he is, yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. So I'll get Colin on that. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I've, got, <laughs> I've got a few little... I know, um, Eric, you said you'd, you'd, got, you'd looked up what people have been in and stuff, but I found a few links with people Did, I mean have you got more you want to say or I don't want to use up your material uh, no I don't, I don't think so other than you know John Richardson who played the character of Mark uh, being uh, an English transplant from uh, England <laughs> I guess he was in uh, Black Sunday and Torso uh, the handsome leading man so those, those are some Italian films we might know him from other than he was in uh, was it 10 million BC or something like that with Raquel uh, Raquel Welch Hmm. I think that's the name of the title, but yeah, he was just him. Other than that, uh, yeah, we kind of uh, covered on the inspector and uh, and Mar- Martin Brochard. So, yeah, isn't that's... it isn't it crazy how different he looks from torso to this? Yeah, when I he read looks that, like I... he aged like a thousand yeah. fucking years or something. Man, His hairline's receding a little bit. Oh my gosh, it looks so crazy. It's like Susie Kendall. Every time she's in a movie, it looks like. <laughs> Ten years has passed. Years but... apart, yeah, it's all that J and B. Maybe they've got yeah. paid. <laughs> yeah, <And> those unfiltered <laughs> cigarettes. Oh, good times. Well, I've got a few little bits. If uh, just um, to follow on from that, I found um, that uh, the woman played Naiba, um, uh, Ines Pellegrini. She was in uh, Salo, 120 Days of Sodom, the same oh, year, sure. the Pasolini film, um, which I thought was quite an interesting. You know, a difference between the two. If you're talking about the difference between Suspiria and Eyeball, that's For quite sure. major. But um, she was an Eritrean actress, and she now lives in Los Angeles. So creep up if you ever bump into her. Apparently, she she works with um, the homeless now, somewhere in Los Angeles. I, I know the street. Do you? Well, you could maybe. Yeah. I'll go down to Skid Row, see if she's there. <laughs> yeah. Um. The other things, I think, um, Lisa, who played the um, the, the lesbian um, neighbor's lover, uh, she was one of the. Um, she was in a lot of the Nashi films. She was in Vengeance of the Zombies, um, the Leon Lemoski, and she is Argentinian as well, the same as um, the um, uh, Regards, um, the, the guy who played the 
the the priest. Um, the the guy that you were saying with the little moustache who looked like um, uh, I can't remember saying looked like, but the, he was he was the the husband of the wife, the bottle blonde. He was in The Devil Has Seven Faces, which was um, another Carol Baker movie. Um, uh, Sylvia Solar, who was um, uh, played Gail, his wife, she was in um, The Killer War Gloves in 1974, the year before, and a great titled film, which I don't know anything about, was Die Slowly, You'll Enjoy It More from 1967, which sounds great. Yeah. Um, Martinez, the great tour guide, was also in The Killer War Gloves, um, and also in the obscure Jello, The Killer with a Thousand Eyes. Um, the uh, John Barther, who played um, the, um, the Texan in this, was actually from Hungary, and his last film was in, he was um, in Cannibal Ferox, with uh, Lindsay's infamous, infamous movie. Um, and I think we mentioned that Mrs. Randall uh, was Umberto Lindsay's wife, and she worked on, on Black Demons and Hell's Gate with Lindsay. So she's behind the camera. But, uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've got, but uh, a bit of a smorgasbord of talent. That always seems I, to be the case in these films. I loved Gail. Like her hair and her freckles and her her jokes didn't catch like when she was talking to him and she was saying oh yeah when did you get injured where did you get injured oh, oh, oh. he's like what are you talking about and she's like oh. like he didn't even get the fucking joke I didn't know what the hell she was talking about but other than that I thought she was great and her hair as ridiculous as it was I and I ended up enjoying looking at her hair the camel toe uh, ratio in this movie is ridiculous there, I didn't there's any camel toes. Oh my gosh! All those like pantsuit jumper things that all the chicks were wearing—it was like riding up. Like in in the scene where they're in the hotel and the cops first interrogating everyone, Paulette looks like she has like a freaking moose foot in her freaking <laughs> pants, dude. It's ridiculous. But um, so if you're a fan of camel toe, you will enjoy Eyeball. Well, there you go. That's something that's to look for for next time now. I've watched this film so many times and um, I've missed all the camel toe. Yeah, you can hold cigarettes in it, man. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I did like as well, I, I didn't even notice the um, bizarre accent of the, the person behind reception at the end when Naiba goes off to the castle. He sounds like he's Irish and I think he's probably the only Irish kind of bellhop in Barcelona. But... Um, Again, it was just transatlantic. The whole thing—it was a—it was talent from every country in the world, almost. That's eyeball. Yeah, the, um, the both him and the little kid, uh, bellhop guy—they both sounded extremely strange to me. Mm. It must be they, like you say, there probably was only four people dubbed the whole thing, and they just did a little joke at the end. <laughs> Or they were drinking whiskey or something. Like, shit, we forgot to get uh, someone do this voice. Uh, here you go, ma'am. It's like Herman paging Mr. Herman. <laughs> yes. Oh, so good. So what you're you're going on to um, uh, next one, aren't you doing... Well, I'm not giving anything away when you're doing, you're doing another fairly ridiculous... I show. want you to give it away right now. Do I? Well, it's, it definitely walks on high, high heels. It is. is. Yes, which is another fantastic Susan Scott, isn't it? Yes, this uh, is a very strange one. 
for for me. It's it's uh it's 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 out there, dude. Yes, I always get it mixed up because there's Death Walks on our heels and what's the other one? That, Death uh, Walks at Midnight and Death Walks with the Cane. Yes. Um, is it Death Walks at Midnight? I think so. Yeah. That's the one with the claws. Yes. The, the steel hand thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's like the Nancy Sinatra of um, Jello. And she looks weird. Um, she was in um, Forbidden Photos. And That's... she looks so freaking different. Like, it. it's... In that movie, she looks like, you know, when uh, Mark Hamill was in Empire Strikes Back after the car accident, his face looked a little plasticky mm. in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. And Forbidden Photos, Susan Scott's face has that same um, thing. It looks like a, I don't want to say she, her face looks like a bleached asshole, but it's like, it's like really tight and weird looking compared to other films she's in because she's um in death walks on high heels like she looks a lot like i don't know if you guys watched 30 rock but she looks like jenna maroney like in so many scenes Mm. in um that but anyway so yeah so um we're kind of reaching the end here i know um eric's got a heart out ain't that right big boy i think that's the term for or or hard stop Maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> what's, my, what's stop? Is that just a, the got a got hard a blast stop. out of here in like five minutes, but you I got like to blast it. I've got a red poncho waiting for me. Right. Well. Okay. Clarify <laughs> that I have never killed anybody, and I never want to kill anybody. I don't want yeah, to come across earlier when I said, you know, I was um, be sitting downstairs with my fingering a knife and my big sunglasses. You know, it's, it's fantasy, no reality, honestly. Mine's totally a fashion statement too. It's not it's nothing else to it. No, but I, I I write I, to get it out of my system. Well, yeah. I think we do, and I think, and I do plan to go back to the Ramblers very soon. But this time, wear red gloves and a bad wig. And if I do, I will send you photos. <laughs> you got to have some camel toe and a cool blue outfit. I I do have a powder blue safari suit actually. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, I, yeah. I used to have because I used to have a 28, 28 inch waist, so I've got all these kind of seventies trousers, which I can just about squeeze into if I, if I um, wiggle a lot. I was getting a little scared when you were talking inches there. <laughs> you, you had a you had a pause there for a second, and I was like, uh oh. You were still thinking of those movies. No, not, not, <laughs> not, not seventies. Was it Long Dong Silver? <laughs> That was a seventies porn star, wasn't it? With a massive <laughs> long dong silver. Yeah. I am needing to Google some stuff, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Careful. Got Not a busy too afternoon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If it's too early for J and B, it's probably too early for long dong silver. But. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> but. So um, for, well, I thought if talking about camel toe, that um, bringing on long dong silver wasn't bringing the tone down too much. Oh no, Eric loves when we talk about long, hard things. Okay, well that's good. Yeah. Do I? 
<laughs> was that me that likes that? Um, Let's just say it was Chris since he's not here. Yeah, man. And I do apologize, Eric, if I kept on calling you Chris, because I think I might have done that a few times and I was just getting confused and I'd had a few sips of um, J&B. So. <laughs> I think it was just once You're... and I think I, th- I think it's flattering. So. Okay, well, there you go. That's that's all good yeah. then. That's all good. So. Um, but no, thank you ever so much for having me on. Oh, no, anytime. And you let Eric know if he wants to come on ever, that would be great too. Yes. I know he's a big fan of the Jalo. He is a big fan. I see um, Nathan and Joseph, uh, they are, they do enjoy them, but they're not, I think me and Eric are kind of slightly more fans, fans of them. And I kind of grew up kind of watching them and not grew up exactly, but they were, um, I, um, when I went to college, it was about 20, was over 20 years ago. And um, a friend at college, um, she was Italian and her boyfriend, um, who now um, runs Fab Press in in the UK, then way back. And um, used to go. They introduced me to a lot of these movies, um, and especially to Lucio Fulci movies. And back in the day, it was as you probably know in the UK, obviously the video nasties and all this kind of stuff. And I was very well versed in the slasher movie and sort of video nasties, but the Italian stuff not so much. But um, they'd really, um, really badly um, the nth generation kind of bootlegs of Lucio Fulci movies. And you were talking about the zoom earlier, and we used to laugh our heads off because it would just always zoom in. On the bridge of someone's nose. It also yeah. took a few years later that I realised actually that wasn't on purpose because obviously these were pan and scan. Yep. <laughs> and so, so I was for years. I always just thought Lucio Fulci had an obsession with the bridges of people's noses, and then I found out that wasn't the case. But I, I remember actually being a 15-year-old and watching Suspiria and hating it. I thought it was awful. Um, but then as I got older I got more and more into them and so it's it's just great it's I think it's fantastic what you guys have done because there is a massive hole in the market sorry to get into the matron moment but it was um you know that there isn't really any I mean we talk about the jello um, on and off bits and pieces but to actually have a podcast concentrating on this and it feels like there's very few of us out there who have got a real love of these movies anymore so i think it's you know it's brilliant what you're doing and it's um a real pleasure to join you well thank you that was, was awesome was great meeting you justin that's great meet you too chris <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah. joke, little joke there sorry <laughs> all right well then i guess that'll do it and um i guess we will now play our coming attractions trailer uh death walks on high heels so until next time, everybody, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. I want to know who shot him. Good eye on your good lips, I'll tell you. A woman. It was a woman
It might have been anyone. Even you. You're after her killer. <laughs> How amazing you should care when the stupid bitch nearly murdered the man who was keeping her. Ciao. Ciao.